0: Hello and welcome to the Radio Times Doctor Who podcast, brought to you by the team behind radiotimes.com. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. As ever, my name is Hugh Fullerton. My name is Morgan Jeffrey. But that's just for today. Very, very, very quick-witted little joke from me there. Uh, this week, On the podcast, we are discussing all things War of the Sontarans, Doctor Who Flux, episode two, confusingly in our Doctor Who Flux podcast, episode three, but try not to think about it too much. Um, Yeah, so we've got some great stuff this week. Uh, We've got our review, we've got a controversial question of the week, and we have an interview with one of the TARDIS team, but before all that, we're going to do a quick burst of Who news, uh, which is news about who, and who knew it? We do, and soon you will too. Oh, yeah, it all flies together. Um, So yeah, we'll just short one this week, because you know, you want to listen to our thoughts on the episode, or maybe you don't, in which case, you're listening to the wrong podcast. Um, I learned a few things this week. Uh, Probably the most interesting thing uh, in terms of this new series is we learned the episode title for episode three. uh, And also, uh, we think got a synopsis and some other details. Uh, Morgan, do you want to fill us in?
1: yeah so uh, episode three of flux is going to be once upon time that's once comma upon time uh very important there uh not to be confused with with twice upon a time uh and we also as as you mentioned we got a little synopsis uh which goes as follows uh time is beginning to run wild on a planet that shouldn't exist in the aftermath of apocalypse the doctor dan yaz and binder face a battle to survive all very vague but all very exciting
0: and we love vagueness. We love excitement. So, you know, we're, we're, we're well set for that episode. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about what we think, you know, we could see in that episode later on. Uh, also, uh, in kind of Who News this week, uh, we learned a little bit about Matt Smith's potential rise of Skywalker character that never happened. Uh, obviously, we got the ratings from the last episode, things like that. But, you know, you're thinking about this episode now, so that's probably old news uh, and loads more. And you can find it all on RadioTimes.com. Uh, you could also find on radiotimes.com lots of fun interviews with Doctor Who cast members, which is a very sort of subtle and clever segue I've just made because we also have that on this podcast. <gasps> uh, today, uh, we are speaking to one of the TARDIS team. Last week, we spoke to Jodie Whitaker. This week, it's John Bishop himself, a.k.a. Dan Lewis, uh, Liverpool's number one walk and roll star. Ooh. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Uh, yep. Yeah. And yeah, we uh, spoke to John. Uh, a little while before the series came out uh, and we talked to him about how he got involved with the series and um, the sort of surprising role that Covid had with that. Uh, his first time working with things like green screen monsters and his potential future in the series after the departure of Jodie Whittaker. Uh, so here's me chatting to John a few weeks ago. Originally, you offered this part and couldn't do it because you had so many touring commitments with stand up. And then obviously with Covid and everything, suddenly your calendar kind of freed up and you had the time to do it. Is that is that, is that fair to say? That's that's, that's how it happened, yeah, that's exactly how it happened and uh, it was a
2: godsend because I was, Chris Chris Chibnall approached me and said that he had this idea of a character and when he was writing him I kept on coming to his mind and and I was so flattered and I just thought what a great thing to be able to even be considered for. And then it, it was just impossible. The tour was already in progress. I, I also had another television commitment and it just wasn't going to work out. And uh, so I, I regretfully said I couldn't do it. And then when uh, the tour was pulled, I, I was lucky because Dr. Who's dates had moved as well. And so they hadn't started the film. They hadn't cast anybody. So I asked them if the opportunity was still there. I I mean, I still had to go through the process. I had to do an audition, a Zoom audition, which was uh, odd. And then I had to go down to uh, Cardiff and do an audition on the TARDIS with Jodie. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah. So that was like, you know, a bit of pressure. I mean, was that the first time you'd been on the TARDIS set as well?
2: Yeah, yeah. So and we, and we had to do, you know, I think it was about five different scenes. Wow. Uh, that, uh, and it was to see, I guess, I guess to see if how our interaction was. Mm. Because ultimately, you know, the doctor is, is the is the is the the leader in in all series. But particularly uh with a series like this that was going to get filmed under the circumstances we were going to film it, the number one actor is can change the tone of everything and so if, if if Jodie wasn't comfortable with me then I would never have been cast because it was always going to be a difficult film and
0: experience anyway um I mean I can only imagine because one of the questions I actually had here was, what was it like going on the TARDIS for the first time I imagine even more intimidating than it might have been
2: <laughs> oh, I mean it was great because you walk in I don't know if you've been to the studios but you walk in you see the door and you go in and go oh what like I'm on the TARDIS mm-hmm. and then they go yeah and then they say well this is Jamie he's going to be the director this is and I'm like oh right so I'm not here to play this is yeah. Mark he's going to film yeah Jody's here we're going to run these and I'm like right uh, yeah and it also though to be fair was great
0: because it made you want the part more mm.
2: It's you know,
0: kind of a real, a real, yeah. You're sort of it's, it's like dangled in front of you almost. It's yeah, yeah. Very, you casually, casually. Oh yeah, but just like quick, quick audition with Jodie just in this massive, massive set.
2: Yeah, that's what I mean. If you'd have done it in like some, I don't know, <laughs> uh, some audition space in London, it still would have been a very abstract thing. But to go to the lot to actually be where it's filmed, yeah, it was
0: it. it if I hadn't got it, I think it would have been gutted. <laughs> well, luckily, it all worked out. The schedule yeah. worked out. The audition worked out. Real kismet. Um, yeah. And, yeah, you, you mentioned, um, obviously, the importance of that kind of rapport with Jodie and between the Doctor and Dan. I mean, is that something that you were able to kind of build really quickly? Was it really instant? Yeah, this is going to work? Um, or was, did you guys have to kind of work at it a little?
2: Well, n- no. It, from the on-screen bit worked well in the fact that obviously the doctor and Yaz have got a relationship and, and they're, 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 they've known each other for years. So Dan's always a little bit of an outsider to begin with. And it, it grows, that relationship grows. And in some respects, that was like it was um, on set because they knew each other. But because we were filming under COVID, we couldn't socialise as they would normally do. You know, we couldn't go out because as Jody said, normally what we do, you're coming in, we'll go out for dinner in the first first week, but everything was closed, so <laughs> and, it, and it kind of helped, um, I think, the relationship on screen mm. because the relationship off screen evolved slower than normal. So it's not like Dan comes in and all of a sudden he's comfortable with everything. He comes in and he's still trying to work out what's
0: going on. I mean, presumably that's something you had to do as well, coming into not just you know this this long lead TV show, but this big sci-fi show with stunts, green screens, you know, big monsters, CGI. I mean, we've seen you do some stunts in the first trailer. I mean, what was what was that like? Was that a bit of an adjustment for you?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, green screens and stuff. Everyone is aware of what they are. Mm. It's not until you stood there looking at a green screen, and then somebody's telling you what you're meant to be looking at, that like <laughs> you're thinking, "Is this like a grown adult's job? <laughs> <laughs> Is this what grown up people do?" Ooh. You know, it's 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 amazing. But again, it's like like we were um, we were in a field. Me and Mandit were in a field, and we were filming a scene, and it was. God, what time of the year was this? I think it was about December. And it was cold, wet. It was late. You know what I mean? And dark. And, and 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 I and I I just said to Amanda I said this. I said, look at this. This is all of these people are here. All the camera crew and the SF people are. There. I said, and all we're doing is playing out. <laughs> you know what I mean? On one level, it's cold and wet, but on the other side, we're like grown adults.
0: Who are being children, and that is, you know, you don't get that very often in your life, do you? We know Jody's leaving. We know Chris is leaving. I mean, what 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 can we say about Dan? Would could Dan stay on? You know, would you go as well, or do you not know?
1: Uh,
2: I don't know. I mean, that's the. Uh, I think the official line is you say you don't know, but I genuinely don't know. Um, <laughs> Behind for lots of reasons, yo. From me personally, uh, this just was almost so good I wouldn't want to risk it you know trying to try to do it again. Cause mm-hmm. it just I, I just feel so lucky to have had that time with those people. Um but also, and I don't know what's gonna happen next with me career because I'm getting back to the thing that I you know I always I, I, you know my day job if you like. Uh, but then someone phones up and says Dan Lewis has got a place with the new doctor. It's a conversation to be had, isn't it? Yeah, you know what I mean? It's because, because, like I said before, here it's I never ever want to turn down the chance
0: to play out again. Thank you very much, John. I assume he's listening. He's he's rapt. He's 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 a big fan of big, the podcast. Big fan of the podcast. Yeah. Big fan of the podcast, famously. Um, but if he is listening by any chance, thanks very much for that, John. Um, yeah, and, you know, we've heard John talk about Dan. We've now seen him for a couple of episodes. I've slightly lost the train of this segue. Let's do the review <laughs> <laughs> for episode two, War of the Sontarans. Um, Yeah, so this was obviously a big episode. We had, um, following up from the cliffhanger of the first episode, which had so many different strands, was thrown back in time to the Crimea. Um, also were thrown sort of present in time to liverpool present day where there's also sontarans hanging about uh, and also were then sent outside of time to the planet time so we're kind of on time uh we're on time um where yaz kind of is uh, tasked with trying to fix a strange sort of bit of machinery and we also kind of see the meeting between her and vinda paid by jacob anderson um so yeah i mean you know sort of broad strokes morgan thoughts on this episode
1: I, I enjoyed this episode for me for me it's not it's not an all-time great but it was a solid Doctor Who adventure and there's gonna be a, bit, a little bit of division I think on this week's doctor Who podcast because mm. we did we did catch up briefly before we started recording and I know you weren't as big a fan of it as me um for me Halloween apocalypse last week was um it was it was as I said at the time it was very fast it was very frenetic uh so many in- ingredients in the pot and just a little bit. It felt a little bit like less than the sum of its parts for me. There was a lot going on. Some of which I liked. Some of it. Some of which I wasn't so keen on. Whereas with this, um, al- although you had um, the the, the flux slash swarm storyline playing out in the background, um, you had the the mori on the temple of uh, on the on the planet time in the temple of Atropos, and you had all that playing out. It felt like there was a more substantial a plot. For me uh hmm. this week i guess you did have that last week with the lipari but um for me it, it was a more substantial uh, a plot as i said this week with the sontarans and the crimean war in present day liverpool and how that all tied together um and i enjoyed the kind of old-fashioned traditional doctor who-ness of that so so for me um war of the sontarans was a was an improvement on last week so
0: I had kind of, as Morgan has alluded to, a slightly opposite experience in that I preferred the Halloween Apocalypse, and I, you know, didn't enjoy War of the quite as much. It's not to say I didn't enjoy it, but um, yeah, I kind of, I kind of see your point with uh, the a plot. I think my issue was that I felt like this episode, compared to the first one, had slightly fewer strands and kind of slightly slowed down the pace. Mm. And then leaning on that a plot, while good, it wasn't kind of enough of an a plot to withstand a normal Doctor Who episode, if you get what I mean. So like, I feel like in, you know, it's roughly the, I think Andrew Ellard, who's a screenwriter and script editor said about the first episode, it's interesting, it does have, you know, what we would consider a full Doctor Who story with the Lupari, you know, what's going on with these dog people? Why is he taking him? Oh, it's because of this. Oh, we'll save the world, blah, blah, blah. With this, you do have that, Why are the Sontarans in the Crimea? You know, we're teaming up with Mary Seacole. The Doctor warns them off. This happens, that happens. Oh, they find a clever way around it. And I felt like that kind of... We had the basics there. But because they also had to fit in the other stuff they wanted to include, like the Liverpool stuff and the um, things with Temple of Atropos, I feel like actually... I don't know how to explain it, but even though it did have a bit more richness than the Lupari storyline, the Lupari storyline was one of about eight things in Halloween mm. Apocalypse, whereas this was one of about four things. And I think that maybe you kind of, certainly for me, I kind of noticed it not working quite as well. Also, to be honest, the more I've thought about it, I'm not sure if it was in strictly necessary, the Dan plot, the present-day Sontarans thing, I found mm. I think it made me confuse things a bit. Obviously, the Sontarans are clones anyway, but you had a lot of... You had Jonathan Watson, who's really, really great as the sort mm. of leader of the Sontarans. He was playing two different Sontarans in two different time periods. And in the Crimea, the Sontarans had been there for ages, and they were kind of messing with time. It's quite interesting. In the present day, they had just invaded, and then the implication was maybe that they were going to go back from there to the Crimea. Maybe it hadn't happened yet, or maybe it was happening simultaneously. You know, it was, it was a little confusing for me. I feel like you could probably have kept Dan in the Crimea... You wouldn't have had him kind of being so proactive maybe, but I think when he's just starting out as a companion, you don't necessarily need that right away. So um, yeah, and then I kind of just felt like some of it for me felt a little bit flat. I think maybe it's stuff that I maybe would have noticed in Halloween Apocalypse if the pace was a bit slower. Mm. But it was so fast-paced that kind of you know it covers a lot of sins. I imagine. Well, um, I, I, I
1: think. I think for me, no, well, because I noticed this. Yeah, you know, I, I I preferred this episode being a little more stripped back. But I, but I think your argument is that because there was less going on, it almost highlighted the inadequacies of. Of the a plot, of the y-
0: y- your word, not mine.
1: <laughs> but I, I, I really enjoyed um, the. As I said, I like the, the traditional Doctor Who ness of it. I do think, though, even even with this episode being more stripped back than Halloween Apocalypse, there was arguably still maybe a little too much going on. I would have loved to have seen a version of War of the Santarans that uh, didn't actually take place within the the Flux storyline. If this had been a kind hmm. of one off. Uh, adventure. I think I would have enjoyed it even more because I, I think you're right. I think maybe even even now there's still a little a little too much going on with the various um, subplots. And I think this is an, another example as well of the the celebrity historical, which Doctor Who mm. uh, ha- has done so well in the past. And you hear you have uh, Mary Seacole um, played by Sarah Powell, but and it's a good performance. But I think that character doesn't quite get her due. Um, in this episode because there is so much going on I, there's, I mean there's literally a part of the episode where she just sort of vanishes and the doctor says just just stay there for a bit and, and take, take some notes, some notes yeah <laughs> take some notes which I thought which I thought was odd and it's obviously Yaz and Dan are dispatched to, to various parts of the universe um, and then uh, Mary is essentially just the fill-in companion um, for for the doctor for this episode and I I sort of feel like you could have done more um with that character it does it, the episode does touch on who she was why she's so important to history but it's, it feels very kind of surface level i don't feel like you, you you really dig into into that character as much as say um you did the life of rosa parks in rosa uh, you know to give an example um so that's that's one aspect of the episode i don't feel like entirely worked because there was so much else going on but that being said that the scenes in the Crimea with the Sontarans were my favorite part of the episode I thought visually actually this episode stood up really well the the battle scenes I thought um Mm. held up really well which I wasn't I wasn't expecting um uh, there's certainly no sense of uh Doctor Who scaling back because of Covid which is which is great to see
0: Definitely. I mean, I I definitely think there's some really striking imagery in this episode, like uh, they mentioned Mm. the battle scenes. I mean, that shot of the Sontaran on the horse is just a really great gag um but it's also quite cool it kind of tells a story in of itself which i really like um i agree with you about the mary seacole thing um i do wonder and this is just pure speculation on my part if the non-covid version of this series had that episode in it already if you know what i mean it feels very much like an idea you would have had like it's very in keeping like you say the rosa parks episode we had we had you know um uh nikola Nikola Tesla. tesla Yeah. yeah, I couldn't think of the name. Um, and also, you know, we've seen other people like Ada Love, and or Ineat Khan uh, turn up before. I will say as well, actually, um, I've made this comparison to you before off air, but um, for me, I was actually really reminded in this episode of Spyfall Part 2, obviously episode two mm. of the last series, because the first episode was this kind of like big, you know, quite high-paced thing where they're all rushing around, ends on a Setting big cliffhanger. Scene. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you sets up all this stuff, you know, like, oh, wow, well, how are they going to, you know, get out of this? And then the second one kind of It separates everybody, which is what happened here. The Doctor sort of randomly picks up some hangers-on who are, like, these notable women from history. So the series is, like, ticks them off. But they kind of don't get their own story. They're just sort Mm. of there helping her out. In that case, it was Ada Lovelace, as I said, and Noreenia Khan. And um, then also, they kind of add all this really quite dense sci-fi stuff that is quite difficult to understand like back then it was the cassavin and whatever their plan was with being spies and assassinating spies and something to do with a map and a little sort of model that was in victorian times and in the present day i still don't know what was going on there um and daniel parn and all that this time i felt like it was as you mentioned you know the atropos uh temple mm. the fact that all time flows through there it's broken but then it's not and these people are you know destroy, but then they're not and then swarm turns up and destroys one of them is that the same thing and then he puts yaz and vinda there and it's, it's and then joseph williamson is there for some reason and I, then he walks off
1: i was slightly more forgiving of that like it wasn't my favorite part of the episode i have to say those scenes because it is a bit more it was a bit more sort of sci-fi gobbledygook uh heavy um but 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 that being said like i i forgave it because it's clearly part of a of an unfolding narrative so i didn't mind that we didn't that i didn't fully understand what was going on in those scenes on the planet time because it feels like there's more to come um on that front and on the on the mary seacole front even though i do feel like she got slightly short shrift in this episode um the doctor obviously um bids farewell by saying i hope we meet again mrs seacole and i don't know if that's just how she was choosing to say goodbye or if that's kind of pointed and we will see Mary Seacole again and also the Sontarans when they're dispatched uh say you know we shall return um and again is that just a the kind of thing that bad guys say or have we actually not seen the last of the Sontarans in in flux I do wonder especially with this being a, a serialized uh six-part story if we're kind of um building towards something similar to you know a, a good man goes to war, where um you know various characters um will will return for the finale um and you know we saw the Sontarans briefly in in episode one uh saw the Weeping Angels briefly in episode one and then this episode two was very much the Sontaran episode and I wonder if that's how this is going to operate where um episode four I think is rumored to be you know the big Weeping Angels episode um the one in which they are the focus but they will continue to pop up um, throughout, I think, in the next time trailer, we see a, a briefly a shot of a Weeping Angel in episode three. So it's, you know, this was the Santaran episode, episode four is the Weeping Angels episode, but all of those characters, uh, Mary Seacole, Sontaran's Weeping Angels, Joseph Williamson, may well sort of pop up throughout whilst also being the focus of one single episode yeah i think
0: that is quite likely like i certainly at least in the finale you can imagine them pulling together some of these threads again to kind yeah. of make a cohesive whole um i certainly would like to see more of a sontaran like i said um, i'm a big fan of you know full disclosure i'm a big fan of jonathan watson from two doors down um and i love his <laughs> slightly scottish sontaran.
1: scottish scottish I love it yeah yeah and he
0: does the the tongue thing uh, yes. at one point which people, i loved i mean people they, love they the tongue thing yeah and he properly does like a I think they hinted at it before with um you see, you see a Sontaran in End of Time kind of lick his teeth or something, but, like, he probably, like, sticks his tongue out <laughs> through the, like, mouth hole. And, and I was like, yeah, yeah do the no, thing. He
1: did the thing. And I, I really liked the portrayal of Sontarans in this episode. It has been a bit of a bugbear of mine um, mm. uh, for, for, for the past few years in Doctor Who. As much as, you know, I think Dan Starkey's great, and I, I enjoyed the character of Strax, when Strax was the only Sontaran that we saw for years and years, it... It relegated the that whole monster race to essentially comic relief. Um yeah. they they haven't been an actual and the Sontarans are kind of inherently funny, right? They look funny, they do, they do funny things and say funny things. But they are they are a monster at the end of the day. Um and the way in which they were portrayed here was something more like we saw in um Sontaran Stratagem uh, Poison Sky from series four, where yes, they can be figures of fun, but there also there's also some quite sort of brutal and horrific moments. Um, in this episode as well, and I, I quite enjoy that that balance. So I, I really like the way they were portrayed here as well.
0: I think so too. It was also really nice that um, they got Dan Stucky back to play a yeah. Shantaren. It's almost like when you know they got. Um, uh, Patrick O'Kane, Paddy O'Kane, to be you know the new Cyberman last series, they still got Nick Briggs to voice some Cybermen in the background because he's like the guy. And yeah. so I like that you know Dan Starkey is kind of in that role of like the Sontaran. He always, you know, if you're going to do a Sontaran story, it would be rude. It would not be rude to not include... to have
1: Dan Starkey. Yeah. It's a bit like back in the early days of the new series when Jimmy V would always pop up as like a new alien like every, every yeah. once in a while. He'd be, you know, Moxa of Balhoon or he popped up in uh, in Voyage of the Damned. and Yeah, I quite like the Doctor Who has these recurring players it's fun i think it's fun like it's nice and also you know when they're playing monsters they can you can kind of keep getting
0: them back because no one's going to know especially for like a clone race it kind of makes sense that you know the same face would turn up
1: i i I think dan stark is probably like well you have to cast me because it's a clone race so it it would be illogical to not hire me for this episode so (laughs) it's true several
0: times over (laughs) uh and that will be reflected in my paycheck um (laughs) But yeah, so no, I I definitely thought that was good. Um, Also, you know, in other villain kind of news, we should talk a little bit about uh, Swarm, who's obviously, Mm. you know, in this episode. We see a bit more of his sort of very snazzy outfit and his pointy shoulders uh, in this episode. Um, I I actually just wanted to say, like, I know I've said I have my issues with this episode. I do think the Swarm stuff works well. I think he's actually a really good villain. Um, Mm. I think he's got a kind of, there's a certain charisma Uh, that he brings and it's obviously his role is a little bit master-like certainly a bit like um you know classic master-like but obviously we know it's coming with a slightly different twist um so yeah i think it's a it's a good design for the for the villain i think he's good performance i yeah i do think it's a shame that his big cliffhanger moment which is him about to kill yaz and run all of time through her is ruined by the next time trailer 30 seconds later going like it's okay yaz is fine (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean um, it, but what can it's you been do? A, it's been a problem since 2005 right where I, I, I remember back in series 1 they actually put the next time trailers straight after the cliffhanger and people yeah. complained and so they at least moved them to the end of the credits so you can you can switch off if you want to I I would recommend not watching the next time trailers actually just because I think they do they I mean look we all know if a, if a trailer ends with the Doctor and, and Yaz and Dan in, in jeopardy, they're probably not going to die. Yeah, they're not going to... And then, like, next week,
0: yeah, she died.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, just, oh, well. but it just doesn't seem very sporting to, re- to no. reveal it in the next time trailer.
0: I, I've written a thing on the website basically saying, like, I think the show needs to pretend or be- the show needs to believe that they could be in danger. Do you know well, what I mean? It needs yeah. to at least walk through the motions. Otherwise, well, it feels a bit pointless.
1: Also, we're being, like... Deeply cynical people in our in our sort of twenties and thirties, right? Saying, "Well, of course the heroes aren't going to die." If you're seven, eight, nine, ten, watching Doctor Who, you don't know that Yaz isn't going to die, right? So mm. it kind of it needs to operate on that level as
0: well. I think so. Um, but yeah, so I liked Swarm. I liked the Santarans. Um, I liked Mary Seacole again. I think she could have done more with it. I was a little confused by some of the sort of sci-fi logic of the episode, like why the humans were so surprised the Sontarans killed them all when they literally it's not just that they'd been there throughout all of human history because you can kind of wave that around with like was that a kind of weird memory thing but like they literally had fought them before because they said they had (laughs) they captured Mm. um you know Dan Starkey's character there were loads of casualties so when he goes like oh no they've shot us all with their lasers I'm like surely you must have I I thought maybe you had some sort of like inside info or like a new plan no no, the plan is we're just going to run at them with muskets (laughs) And this time it's really going to work.
1: It's, it, it's general Melchert logic that Blackadder goes forth. It's yeah, like, it uh, is, yeah. it is. How can you know that plan, Blackadder? It's classified information. Um,
0: yeah, I will say, um, just, just before we move on that, Though I did enjoy the um, uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson uh, reference from Jodie Whittaker, uh, Half a League mm. Onward. Uh, charge of the Light Brigade. Into the Valley of Death Rover 600 It's a, a personal favourite because it's an incredibly famous poem um, of mine. So I enjoyed that. And I enjoyed feeling clever enough to notice it and go like, aha, yes, I know poetry. Even though, as I say, that is an incredibly mainstream poem that a lot of people know about.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I I didn't spot it, so you're you can feel you can feel smarter than me if nothing else. But no, uh, yeah. I, I do I do think I do think there are some um you know, some maybe not plot holes in this episode, but sort of leaps of logic that that it doesn't entirely hold together. And as you say, maybe because there is less going on in this episode it does highlight highlight the inadequacies um slightly more things like uh the the doctor and, and Mary and, and and Logan embark on this uh plan to to sabotage the Sontarans' ships and essentially sort of just like open their petrol tank and let everything everything <laughs> yeah. pour out that's essentially their plan um and I, I didn't really understand because my understanding was that the, the time ships that were being built in Liverpool docks were then what allowed the Sontarans to travel back in time to take mm. over all of Earth's history and and, and invade, the, invade the Crimea. Um, so if um, Dan and Carvanista had succeeded, which they did, that would have then erased the Sontarans that had gone back in time from time, that they would have never gone back in the first place and it would have been a, a time paradox. So actually what the doctor did in this episode didn't actually need to be done she could have just sort of sat around and waited for for Dan and Carvanista to uh to to, to do do their thing um but that wouldn't have been very exciting to watch so they just that 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 subplot felt a little tacked on to me they just had to keep the doctor and and Mary busy while well weirdly it was Dan who actually and his and his uh and his and man's best friend who ended up saving the day
0: I liked it as well though it was it was sort of funny to me, like Dan kind of gets elevated to f- sort of full companion who can do stuff very, very quickly. He's gone from like was just a guy who was abducted to like, okay, there's alien invasions happening. This looks like a job for
1: Dan. Yeah, Look, <laughs> like, yeah. we've only we've only got six episodes. You have to accelerate some of those story beats a little bit. <laughs>
0: I like that the Doctor kind of says "Then, oh, do you want to come? You know, later in this episode, that digital thing. And he's like, yeah, okay. And it's like, okay, cool. We've covered that. Like, (laughs) I kind of assumed that he was going to be dragged around for a while because the TARDIS was malfunctioning. He wasn't going to be able to get back to the present day. I was surprised that he kind of got thrown back so quickly. I also don't want to pick up, uh, pick at the uh, logic of, uh, you know, sci-fi too much. I was... I, I don't think this is a problem. I was amused by the invisible hand of Chris Chibnall picking up his action figures about five minutes into this episode and moving them onto different, you know, different sets. Yeah. It was like, okay, Yaz, you're going to go over here. Dan's going to go over here, and it's because of uh, vortex energy reacting with the flux, but it won't affect the Doctor, and we won't explain why. <laughs> but <laughs> I, it's, fine.
1: Again, it's fine. Again, again, there are some, there are some maybe plot holes, leaps of logic. I wasn't entirely clear why or how the Doctor and Yaz and Dan survived the episode one cliffhanger. There was just sort of this this moment of, oh, oh, oh I guess, you know, the 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 Lupari plan worked, but somehow we also ended up back in the Crimea. Okay, okay fine, T- TARDIS logic. But then uh, Vinder also ends up on, on the planet Time in the Temple of Atropos and also survives the Flux, which I I don't know if, again, maybe there's more to come on that front, but I didn't entirely understand why that happened um, and, and how he survived. I read it
0: as like, I read it as like that, place is trying to grab people it thinks can help. So Mm. it thinks Vinda can maybe help, and it thinks Yaz can help. I'm not sure why it thought they could help. Um, (laughs) Like With Yaz, Yaz, you kind of get it, but you don't know why it would be Yaz and not the Doctor. Again, you could come up with, like, you know, in Fugitive of a Jadoon, that Captain Jack had a fake reason for why the scoop thing kept missing the Doctor. There was Mm. oh, because of Jadoon, energy, or some rubbish. Like It was, you know, you just say a line that sort of explains it. And it was, I think Yaz acknowledges actually that this was something that had happened to her before? Uh, she, you know, getting randomly I, teleported somewhere.
1: I, I, I enjoyed that. I think just to briefly pick up on that point, though, I think, I think you do need to be careful with the flux because so far it's this been built as this incredibly destructive, unstoppable force, but that can be stopped and that most people survive. So I, <laughs> I, I, I just yeah. think it's it's in danger of losing its its potency somewhat. But no, I, I really enjoyed that that moment in particular with Yaz, where um, she's kind of like. Been transported um, to the temple, and she's talking to herself, and just be like, oh you know, next time this happens, because it happens a lot." And I, I think, again, <laughs> again, although we've talked about there's a lot going on in this episode, I do think um cutting the the number of companions down has really benefited the show. Has really benefited Mandi as Yaz. It's an immediate benefit. You're right. It, it's, it just seems. I was so just going to say better.
0: Yaz as well. The re sort of centering of Yaz as you know a kind of experienced traveler who knows stuff and kind of you know does stuff it works like it works quite well and then you have Dan to be the kind of wide-eyed it means that already the dynamic is a bit clearer within their sort of mini group it's like the doctor's the doctor you know Yaz is kind of like seasoned and then you've got the kind of wide-eyed new boy it's a little like when Mickey joined the TARDIS I guess with um with uh and the doctor um but yeah it's um it's an interesting one. I do find it funny that Yaz wrote "What would the Doctor do?" on her hand, and then really ostentatiously like looks at it to sort of be like, "Oh yeah, yeah." And I was like, "You could probably just remember that." <laughs> like,
1: yeah, no, I, I like I like that. There's this there's this arc playing out for Yaz that she is trying yeah. to be a bit more like the Doctor, and I like that. But um, but yeah, I, I'm not sure why she had to write it on her hand <laughs> and, and look at her hand to to remember it because it's like, yeah, could you not? It's it's a pretty short mantra. You probably could have just could have just remembered that and just just said it out. loud. It's the way
0: that she kind of like looks at it, like really because it's obviously it's for people at home right and yeah, then swarm yeah. picks up on it later obviously it is it's just kind of funny if you think about doing that yourself being like oh i'm in a strange situation you know but <laughs> look at my hand
1: but that's a good point how did swarm know that how did swarm know as well about vinder and whatever vinder seems to be running away from vinder's chasing redemption apparently is one of the big questions posed in this episode right a lot of even though there were plenty of questions posed by halloween apocalypse war of the Santarans, poses even more
0: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really answer many. Um, I'd say the one thing that is maybe answered a bit is what's going on with the TARDIS. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not explicit, but I think it's certainly implied that um, the influence of Swarm and whatever's going on like, time is, you know, going crazy, that's affecting the TARDIS. Like, yeah. certainly there's a kind of corruption. It seems like it's linked to Swarm. We first see it start happening after he breaks out, right? It's he In the first episode, he kind of mm-hmm. makes that mental connection with the Doctor, and that's when it first starts leaking, and now all this horrible stuff is happening. So I think there's a bit of an answer to that, although maybe it's going to be more clear. Yeah, we don't know what Swarm's plan is, what his history is for the Doctor. Obviously, like you say, we've got these new questions about Vinda, what his whole story is. Um, we don't really know still what's going on with the flux who caused it like I think it's certainly implied that it's something to do with swarm but I yeah. don't know if it's like the, text or subtext
1: there's there's the moment where um Azura says of the mori I think that they're time locked because of what happened mm. last time which seems to yeah. imply that uh that swarm and, and Azura have uh, you know launched some offensive against the mori in the past that, that they are trying to disrupt time and then that is what caused the flux so I, I i yeah i presume that they're that they're involved so that's kind of you get an answer there but again more questions what's with the creepy house and the doctor's yeah, black the and my hallucination
0: house. Yeah, that's a weird one. That happens right at the start, after the whole uh, Flux thing, before the Doctor wakes up in the Crimea. She just is walking around, there's this weird, strange building. Um, And it's not very clear what that is. It kind of reminded me, I was saying to you before, of the kind of weird Brendan visions we had Mm. in um, Ascension of the Cybermen last series, you know, when the Doctor dreams of the life of a young guard in Ireland. Um, I I, I know some Irish people, so it's not a policeman, it is a guard. Um, Just just if anyone's, or or a guard, i.e., Um, And yeah, basically, that turned out to be a kind of secret message about the Doctor's own life. It seemed like a complete non-sequitur at the time. And that's because this feels similarly a bit like a non-sequitur. It doesn't really relate to the story. I feel like maybe that's going to be something that's picked up. Or maybe more black and white visions kind of as a code for... Uh, what's coming up Um, although you also had a theory didn't you about the maury and how it could uh, relate to the doctor's past
1: well just because we've been told that there's going to be or it's been implied but that there's going to be some follow-up to the timeless child uh reveal in in influx and i was just you know this seems like we're, we're introducing all this new mythology to the world of dr who now right that that time is actually controlled um by by the Mori on the temple of Atropos and the planet time apparently the time Lords who were the lords of time knew nothing about any of this but anyway we'll we'll, we'll skip over that detail um and I, I was just thinking and again the Mori look a lit the way they're dressed looks a little bit like sort of how the timeless child was was dressed in in her original uh incarnation so Are we meant to assume that the Doctor is from the planet Time, is potentially even one of the Maury, um, and and that's her her true origin story? I sort of hope not, just because I think no matter what you think about the Timeless Child uh, reveal from, from last series, what it did do, and I think the intention behind it was to restore some mystery to the to the character of the Doctor, who you know over fifty plus years we've learned so much about that character and where and where they're from and who they are and um to to and so I really enjoyed the fact that some of the mystery was restored and kind of just threw all we, all that we thought we knew out of the window and so to just immediately straight afterwards in the next series go well this load of sci-fi gumph wasn't the case but this new load of sci-fi gumph is the case and she's just a different alien from a different you know a different planet and a different race of essentially time lords it would just seem like i'm not sure why i'm not sure why you dispatch with the old just to bring in the new that's very similar to the meet the new origin same as the old origin it just so i i'm sort of hoping this isn't the case but it could but it could well be
0: so you're telling me the doctor is actually an alien from a race of beings who wear weird collar things and control time yeah like exactly oh my god
1: yeah right Uh, yeah it's like oh this is i never saw this coming yeah exactly so i'm hoping it's something and also i just think it's too soon no matter i you know i don't i don't want to find if you if the whole point was to restore the mystery of the doctor's character to restore the who to doctor who then then you don't want to immediately just go oh but here here are all the answers they're just different answers to the ones you had before you you want to leave those questions hanging you want to keep some of the mystery
0: That said, though, you know, I mean, presumably this is a storyline Chris Chibnall wants to wrap up in his era. You know, we know we have four episodes left in this series. We have um, then, uh, was it three specials next year? Mm. You can assume that like the specials might not want to go into like loads of detail about it all the time because they're supposed to be a bit more kind of for everybody. Um, I do wonder whether there's. Literally enough time for him to like, if this isn't the end game, you know, where is he going to fit it in? And so I do wonder, like, if just by the fact that these people have been introduced in this way, and then maybe, you know, in an episode, we'll get a flashback explaining their whole vibe, maybe that'll make it feel a little less rushed. But yeah, I mean, I do wonder just by dint of the fact that we're kind of running on, you know, reduced time for mm. the amount of time the doctor, this version of the doctor, and Jodie Whisker and Christian will have. I feel like it's possible that these mori are the end game in some
1: way. Maybe, but then maybe it's not on him to provide the answers. In a way, I, like I say, I don't think I think the point was to say everything you think you know is a lie and then I don't think you need to after that deliver the truth because it kind of it's what why what why di- why dispel the old mythology if you're just going to replace it with a bunch of new mythology. Leave it leave it hanging. I think Christian nor has almost done done his job he's, he's 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 dropped the mic and he's and he's now on his way out and he's just saying well this you know let someone else maybe in 10 20 years answer the question of where the doctor is really from but what i've done is restore the mystery
0: i guess i feel like though he set up really specific stuff like came from this boundary and the fact that the doctor's going after the, the division and all stuff although mm-hmm. maybe you're right and maybe this series will deal with like the doctor's missing years without dealing with where she was before that if you know
1: what i mean well yeah i did think that last week that the doctor is not pursuing her origins as such she's not after answers as to where she came from originally she's looking to fill in that 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 missing gap the the memories that she's lost the time with the division rather I think than she's
0: worried about the morality of it. I, mm. it, it which is quite interesting it's very in character i think she's more worried about the fact that she might have done bad things and doesn't know about it rather than like the fact that she's you know from like devon instead of cornwall you know equivalent like <laughs> hey, it's hey,
1: quite, that, that's a that's it's, a cru- that's a crucial difference all right sorry i
0: forgot who i was talking to uh, <laughs> but yeah I, I i agree with you i think that maybe that's where it's going from and certainly you know not to not to complete change the subject in the next time trailer for episode three there maybe is a bit of a hint of a division because you see i think dan and one or two other people holding those distinctive guns that mm. the division use so it seems like maybe we're going to start to get some answers on that um but yeah, so I, I I'm intrigued. I feel like they Chris Chibnall needs to give some answers, but maybe as you say, the sort of big thing of where's the Doctor from, what's that whole story, could be left blank. It kind of depends on whether Chris Chibnall, I suppose, feels like it's it's his responsibility to kind of clean up the sort of strands he introduced or whether and, and sort of go back to kind of a factory reset for mm. a new era rather than like giving someone else his ideas to kind of work from or whether he thinks I have opened up this mystery, you know, this is the kind of a great sort of a start point to go from whether he thinks that. And I think, you know, you could argue both points, right? Like I think if he didn't, if he just did the whole timeless child thing and then was like, okay, bye, that would not be great. Yeah. But if he can kind of resolve some of it or at least sort of, point leave it in a way where like it becomes part of a doctor's backstory rather than her mission yeah then i think that becomes that becomes very
1: doable yeah no i'd agree
0: um but yeah so that is most of our time uh talking about war of the sontarans uh, next week obviously as we said it's once upon time uh we know that um they all escape the temple of atropos and they go to some sort of strange alien city and um, but then yeah there's also cyberman running around um we get to meet some new guest actors craig parkinson and Thaddeus graham seem to be knocking about in that episode so that's exciting more plot strands that's what we love in doctor who flux um more flashbacks and so on maybe um so yeah it should be interesting and we'll be back with our a review of that next week. But before we go, we just about have time for our regular recurring feature, controversial question of the week. Inserts jingle. Controversial question of the week. And yes, that is my voice. I was trying to go for a sort of um they asked me to do a kind of Brian Blessed-esque voice, but it ended up a little bit more Tom Baker. But that feels sort of appropriate. <laughs> Fitting. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, basically, uh, last week we asked uh, a a question for Halloween What is the least scary, scary monster? Um, I opted for, I believe, the Dregs from Mm -hmm. last series um, because they'd been talked up so much. Morgan, controversially, (laughs) appropriately enough, went for the Daleks. um, And we uh, ran the poll on Twitter with a few options. And as it turns out, we were both wrong. And everyone thinks the Sontarans, which I kind of get because, you know, they're very much in people's minds and they've they're got not, they've got the funny sorry.
1: scary balance right as we talked yeah, about exactly. earlier yeah
0: i they're not the most menacing if you know what i mean like and they well i mean maybe more so now but so that was last week though moving on cast that into The pits of time uh this week we're asking a different question Uh, and i think morgan uh you came up with this one so i think i'll let you pose it because i can't quite remember the wording
1: (laughs) well what the question was uh obviously we know we've got doctor who flux unfolding and then as you said we've got a a series of of specials uh including the bbc centenary uh special next year and then maybe a 60th anniversary special but certainly some sort of 60th anniversary celebrations when russell t davies uh returns to the show as, as a showrunner and People are speculating, you know, will there be a multi-doctor story? Um, Is there one on the horizon? Will it be the centenary? Will it be the 60th? Um, But people are expecting at some point over the next couple of years, we're going to see a multi-doctor story. And my controversial question of the week is, if you could only bring back one past doctor for this uh, anniversary celebration, let's say it's the 60th, you could only bring back one past doctor, which one would it be and why? Good question. I mean, it's a thing fans love, the multi-doctor
0: story. It's a thing that I imagine showrunners and actors like less because it's such a faff to organise. I and mean, everyone goes, yeah. oh, that wasn't even any good. Uh, <laughs> why? Now give us another one. But um, I feel like it's relatively likely soon. Like, you know, we've heard these rumours for a while. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I I usually go first in these situations. So I'm going to throw to you, Morgan. Um,
1: who, who's your pick? So, you know, there are, there are certain actors who are no longer with us, but let, let's say that you can you know you can you can choose any doctor from the past um for me though even with with that in mind i think i think it would be the 11th doctor only because mm. yeah you know, um the 13th doctor jodie will have only just left the show so it seems a bit odd to to then bring her back uh the the 10th doctor david tennant i love the 10th doctor always happy to have more 10th doctor but he did have his he had a chance to return to the show in the fiftieth anniversary special in, in Day of the Doctor. So he's sort of we've seen that once before. Um, very fond of the twelfth Doctor, Peter Capaldi, but um, he hasn't been <laughs> he hasn't been gone as long as the eleventh Doctor, and it just feels like such a long time now since we had uh, Matt Smith playing the eleventh Doctor. I love I love that era, um, series five in particular. I think it's my favourite series of the modern era. So I would just I would just love if you could only have one. I would love to see Matt back playing the eleventh Doctor. What about you? He, I mean, I was going to say, he
0: would also definitely, like, still play that role very easily. Like, he looks the exact same. Yeah. Which is important. Um, so, I, I I get that. I, I I could see that. My counterpoint would be um, Dr. Number 9, Mr. Christopher Eccleston. Ah. Yeah. Of course. Because, obviously, um, he, you know, previously, that would have been... You, you would have been more likely to get Patrick Troughton, somehow, <laughs> than Christopher Eccleston a few years ago, I would say. Or William Hartnell. But... Um, In this case, because he's come back to do these big finish things, a thing that happened last year and absolutely blew our minds, Mm. um, we do have uh, that... I think that issue with the podcast is still knocking about somewhere if you want to hear us lose our our thoughts over that whole thing. Um, That was such a big surprise. And he has said, you know, hell will freeze over before I come back to the main series. But, you know, this is arbitrarily a rule we've made up. He has to come back. And there's only going to be one. It's another rule we arbitrarily made up. But... I would love to see that happen because I feel like it would kind of, if we're not put, including, you know, classic Doctors, I feel like he's the kind of earliest one where you could kind of say, look back at the history of the show, it would kind of bookend mm. the modern era. The fact that he didn't come back for Day of the Doctor kind of means that it would be something new. Whereas if you had, obviously, Matt Smith was the kind of current Doctor at that point, but we did have Peter Capaldi was in that one briefly. Obviously, David Tennant was in it. Matt Smith was in it. They've all kind of done it. As you say, Jodie's, you know, only just been gone in this scenario. I feel like getting Dave, uh, not sorry, getting Christopher Eccleston in would be awesome, and you know it would really kind of give his Doctor, I don't know, maybe a little bit more closure than he had. I mean, obviously he had a full story in that first series, but I just feel like you know fans would love it, and I think you could get a really good story out of
1: it. Do you know, what, I think having said, and I, I I still stand by my choice. Like I love I love Matt Smith, I love the other Doctor. I'd love to see him again, but of course I do feel like now you've said that. The ninth Doctor is is the obvious choice because he it fe- he feels more than any Doctor I think like he has unfinished business in the sense mm. of I know the eighth Doctor had had less screen time but what they did with Night of the Doctor was 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 lovely I think in that you you kind of capped off the Paul McGann era and you kind of tied off a lot of loose ends and and, and reso- answered a lot of questions and I still feel like there's untapped potential with the the ninth Doctor I think it's the, his return would make the biggest splash potentially because it is the most the most unlikely um so so yeah i do you, know, you swayed me I'll, I'll i'll agree with you on that bring back the ninth doctor
0: there you go very contra- i mean probably not the most controversial opinion for controversial question of the week we want to see more christopher eccleston but we do uh and again it's it's as i said, it's extremely unlikely so <laughs> sorry about that i mean, when they bring when they bring back david Tennant or whoever for the you know anniversaries we'll still be very pleased um but yeah we have run to the end of our time unfortunately uh, such that it is um and yeah so that's the end of this week's podcast uh, thank you so much for listening we'll be back next week for more reviews interviews and who news little rhyme for you there um and yeah we'll be giving our reactions to once upon time uh, which we'll have seen at that point which is very exciting um until then i've been hugh i've been morgan Uh, and we're off to be killed by Sontarans because I couldn't think of a funny sign off for this week's episode okay (laughs) thanks for listening and goodbye (laughs) thanks for listening to our Doctor Who podcast make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode and for more brilliant Doctor Who content check out radiotimes.com